Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Kendall Y. I'm Jordan Guess. All right, here we go. Uh, real quick, some housekeeping things. I apologize to our listeners because I'm aware that uh, Spotify, for some reason, is not showing my episodes. We're getting censored already. Gosh. Our episodes. Uh, so I'll fix that. It all of our episodes are available pretty much everywhere else. So specifically, something is wrong with Spotify. I gotta say, Spotify does not have great tech. Uh, so that's just my my complaint of the day. Oh, I have so many complaints for the day. So that's just that we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. Okay, so today, me and Jordan were talking before the episode. We don't really have. Sp- specific like uh overarching talking points um i think we'll mainly talk about this will this will be a very bearish episode um i have a lot of negative things to say about the state of the crypto industry um so buckle up it's all from a point of love uh but uh i think that's broadly what we'll talk about what do you think jordan no that sounds good i think we'll uh we'll try to find some if there's any um there's any highlights in there of just light or uh good news but yeah for the most part if you look around there's not a ton of um on a broad scale you know there's not a ton of uh good news out there right now so We'll get into all of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of news though, and uh, and there's even a good chunk of news that we have not um, we've not touched. So I know we're going to touch some of that today, and um, yeah, I think part of the thing is that let's just blame let's just blame this on the Fed for a moment, the Federal Reserve of the United States, because uh, they're just easy to they're an easy punching bag. Uh, you know, I think that, um, inflation is out of control really. And the inflation is more of a supply side problem and the fed is going to try to fix it through destroying demand and make no mistake. They, they are going to go all the way and, uh, and, uh, it's not good. I think the thing that I wanted to highlight, I wanted to highlight on this topic though, is that like, you know, the Fed doesn't really do much technically. And what they do is they jawbone, like they, they scare everybody. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying right now, I'm aware that they have succeeded in that mission. Yeah. <laughs> Based off of the conversations that I'm going to have today, they have succeeded. <laughs> uh, Which so, is just, it is crazy because really they're not able to do much it's all a narrative game for them at this point outside of the interest rate hikes, but, but truly they're not even, they're not going fast enough on that for that to even make a big, a huge difference. Right. It's really just trying to instill fear in people's minds. Yeah, I mean, way. if the data is, if the, the people that I follow are to be, to be believed, like we have never I've at least, I mean, me definitely, I don't know about anybody else, but I've never seen the economy looking over a cliff like this. Like, I think that like today we're going to talk about crypto, but this applies to 
everything. I mean, everything is uh, not looking good. So, but I want to, I want to, I want to talk specifically about, about crypto today because uh, I can be more precise about what I want to say. Um, okay. First thing I want to highlight is yesterday, June 29th, Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, the SEC denied Grayscale Bitcoin Trust's uh, request, what do they call it? Request or something to convert the trust into an ETF. Um, so we won't get that. Sad. Sad. GBTC, for those who don't know, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, it's, a, it's, a, it's an equity that trades in the public markets. It's a trust. And the way it works is uh, clients can deposit their Bitcoin into the trust and then they can, they're issued a, an equity. So they're issued a stock. <clears throat> and that Bitcoin is not redeemable at that point. The trust is a one directional uh, product. So I actually want to make a few comments on this. I don't understand what productive value that provides to society. <laughs> now, I don't mean to be, I don't want to be too much of a hater here because I'm naive and I'm just a software engineer from Kentucky. I don't know everything, but I don't understand why the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust even exists in the first place, to be honest. Now, I understand that there's a way, it's a way for public markets to get exposure to Bitcoin. I, I mean, okay, I understand that, but why is the it, only way I think right now, right? Well, not really, because you could get, you could buy miners or you could buy, you could buy, there's other equities that are that are correlated. It was the first and it was the only one for a long time. It's been around since like 2015 or even earlier. It's been around for a long time. Um, so I understand that there's a, there's a financial component to it. I think that realistically, my, my uh, complaints here are how big it got. It's, it's become way too large. And we should have identified that as a risk. Um, so I'll explain some of, the, some of the technicals that I know. For most of, <clears throat> my understanding is most of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, at least Q1, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the equity, traded at what's called a premium to NAV which means that the cost of the equity was higher than the underlying Bitcoin. And it makes sense why that, why that occurred because there was so much institutional money that wanted exposure to Bitcoin, but couldn't for regulatory reasons buy the actual Bitcoin. And so they had to buy GBTC equity and supply and demands so means that um, the cost of that equity will become more expensive. So for a long time, there was a premium. And what happened was there was firms, we'll call them, um, that um, basically captured that arbitrage. And the premium was 
significant for, for a while. Like I'm talking like 20% premium. Look, if you're a firm that can get a, a, like a risk-free 20% return, then that's unheard of. Like you're going to, you're going to do it and you're going to lever up and you're going to commit a lot of capital to it. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm skipping over one piece, which is the way the trade worked. The way the trade worked was there was a lockup period. So a client can deposit their, their Bitcoin to Grayscale and they're issued equity, but they can't liquidate that equity for six months. So there's a six month lag period. So these, the trade was that they would deposit the Bitcoin and then in six months they would sell the equity and hopefully the premium would still exist at that point. Okay, so somewhere around the May 2021 Bitcoin crash, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust equity began trading at a discount. So the value relative to, to the underlying unit uh, switched from positive to negative. Um, and basically we've never really recovered from that. That has been the, the biggest issue in crypto broadly. Um, and you can think again, it's just supply and demand. There is not sufficient demand for the equity to support the price. Um, and there's no way to redeem the underlying Bitcoin. And so there's no way to, to capture the arbitrage. Um, so this is, again, this goes back to my complaint. <clears throat> if I can just tie a bow on that. I understand why the, why, why the trust exists because financialization reasons, blah, 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 that I don't, they're difficult to wrap my head around, but I can humbly admit that they're, they're there. Um, but the, my shtick is that this thing got way too out of control. It got way too large. I mean, I think at one point it was managing... I don't know, like six, at least 60 billion US dollars, US dollar value under management, potentially more. Um, so, so anyway, so there's a, there's a massive discount since May, 2021, and they haven't been able to, they've tried various ways to fix that discount. They've tried buying back the equity. Of course, they're, they're trying heavily to convert the trust to an ETF with SEC, but SEC is just not going to do it. Gary Gensler is not going to do it. There, there are speculations as to why that's the case. I'm not going to speculate on, them, on why that's the case, but he's just not going to do it. He's not going to allow GPTC to become an ETF, at least anytime soon. So you can't really capture the, the arbitrage that way. The second way you could capture the arbitrage would be they could dissolve the trust. They could just be like, okay, well, we're just going to go out of business basically, and we will distribute all of the Bitcoin to all of our shareholders. Um, but there's no financial incentive for them to do that because they collect a 2% management fee every year. So it's, it's a, it's actually an expensive equity to own because there's a, there's a management fee, which is hefty 2%. So mm -hmm. at 50 billion, this is another shtick that I have. Okay. Um, I just want to put this into context. I'm not going to make a comment on it. <laughs> But let's say they have 50 billion under management and they take a 2% fee. They, they, it caught, they're collecting a billion dollars a year. Now, 
I'm just going to leave that there. Um, so, but anyway, they have no incentive to dissolve, dissolve it because they're collecting the, the fee. Um, anyway, so currently the discount is trading. I want to say one more thing. The discount is trading 30%, roughly 30% discount to NAV. And at 2% fees, that means that they have roughly 15 years of discount baked in to the discount, which basically means that if you don't think that they can close the discount to NAV in 15 years, then you shouldn't invest. But if you think that at some point in 15 years, they can close it, then you're going to be a net positive. But the thing is, is that of course it's an, it's an equity exposure to Bitcoin. And so you also have to expect that the price of Bitcoin will go. You're basically trading against Bitcoin. You're just capturing a little bit of premium. Um, so, hmm. okay. I'm going to pause there. I've been talking a lot. That's, that's GBTC. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, um, do we know why Gensler? Because how many times have they tried to submit for it to be uh, an ETF? Do we know that? Well, I don't know exactly. I don't know the details. I think they have up to a year. And so I think they've tried several times, several years in a row, and they've declined. Um, if like I want to I want to take both sides of this argument. I think that <clears throat> obviously if you are in the crypto space, you want this to happen. But I also want to be intellectually honest here. I think that um, first let's talk about why it, uh, it should happen. It should happen because the SEC has no grounds to deny it. They have no legal grounds to deny it. And that's why Grayscale is opening a lawsuit against them. Right. Now, now the SEC is denying it because for, for the reasons, the, the justifications that they're giving is that the market can still be manipulated. And um, that's just patently false because there's sufficient data to back that up. In fact, Coinmetrics, the firm that I work for, provides that data. And we have and Fidelity has, has proven it, that that's just patently false. So that's the, that's the issue legally. Um, Okay. And, and, and one more thing too, is that if you compare Bitcoin to other offerings relative to what it is like a commodity, there are way, way worse products out there from a market manipulation standpoint than Bitcoin. And yet they continue to deny Bitcoin, right? So um, that is just not, not a good thing. Okay. This- That's good to know though, that they're going to come after them legally in the court of, uh, circuit court. Because mm-hmm. I mean, sounds like that—that's probably their last-ditch effort, right? I mean, well, it'll—they'll—they'll they'll get it through. It's gonna—it may take years to get through, but they got good lawyers, and like I said, they collect two percent a year, so they—the lawyers will rake in the money. Yeah. Um, so, but on the on the, I want to take the counter argument too, <clears throat> just for the sake of argument. Um. This is we're going to segue into three arrows capital too. Um, if the SEC had approved, <clears throat> sorry, if the SEC had approved the ETF filing, let's say six months ago, then we probably would have never uncovered the fraud, the alleged fraud, I should say, that is three arrows capital and, and, and any number of these other lenders. Um, so 
one could make the claim that the SEC did act in the best interest of the consumer by denying the ETF through this lens. Now, it's not very compelling in my opinion, but um, let me explain a little further. First off, I want to reiterate, I'm not an expert. I'm just a very naive person from Kentucky. I'm a software engineer. Okay. So I'm just telling you the things that I know. I'm not saying that I know everything. I definitely do not. <clears throat> Three Arrows Capital <clears throat> was one of the largest shareholders of GBTC. Three Arrows Capital, sorry, let me back up. They're a hedge fund from Singapore. They recently relocated or were in the process of relocating to Dubai. Um, and it's run by two, two people. You can go find out if you want. Um, and three arrows capital has kind of been like a little bit of a poster child for crypto over the past two years. And, um, <clears throat> you know, everybody was under the assumptions like, oh man, these guys are the best. They have like proprietary trading mechanisms. They're the way that people think about Sam Bankman Freed and FTX and Alameda, they kind of thought this had similar thoughts to Three Arrows Capital. Like these guys are cutting edge traders that are making all this money. They're growing the ecosystem. So, um, but they, so Three Arrows Capital had exposure, massive exposure to Luna and Terra, which obviously collapsed and went to zero. Um, they had massive exposure into something else that I'm forgetting. And the third thing was that <clears throat> they have massive exposure into GBTC. And uh, there's a lot of words going around about Thero's capital, alleged fraud, criminal behavior. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I have no idea if any of that's true and I can't really comment on it, but um Assuming just to wrap up the GBTC thing, they really minor setting is three capital really started to struggle whenever the GBTC trade went negative about a year ago. And uh, uh, they never really recovered is minor setting. Hmm. So, okay. We can, I mean, there's been a court. The other thing was that I sent you a little bit earlier in the week <laughs> is that there's been a court order um, that pretty much three arrows capital be liquidated. Uh, to pay their pretty much to pay their debts um so that was from the virgin islands is that what i saw yeah bvi it's interesting i don't know how to, how it all play out i don't understand all like the jurisdictional things i do know that yeah that that world is com it seems so complicated that you're like and especially the, the fact that it's all offshore right i mean mm -hmm. obviously we they have I'm sure there was exposure by U.S. Um, investors, but at the end of the day, it's like I don't know if the there's any anything the U.S. can be can be doing. I think it has to be done by any anything where they had like nexus, right? If they had nexus in BVI or Dubai or wherever, then the courts there have to kind of um, you know work it out. Same as same as the guy Do, Do Kwan and wasn't he South Korea? Mm -hmm. I've heard, I've heard reports that they're not, uh, officials are not letting any of those guys leave the country. Mm. Also, I heard a report. I mean, this is all speculation. I kind <clears throat> of don't like to do it, but 
the Celsius guy apparently tried to skip town. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I can't. That's just, that's terrible. Um, but I mean, this all goes more broadly. It goes to the fact that more regulation needs to come into the space, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think that that should be embraced because there are, there are always going to be fraudsters out there. There are always going to be people who try to take advantage of situations. And um, I mean, that's just human nature. So you have to have someone or some entity, right? Like looking over the shoulder, making sure that everything is what they say it is. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, biology has a good, a good line about this, which is like, you know, crypto anarchy is interesting but I much prefer crypto civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the, this is the thing that like the, the Bitcoin maximalists get totally wrong. You know, they, they're like anarchical, you know, people, they're anarchists <laughs> and like, look, there's a place for that. Okay. I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist, <clears throat> but <laughs> this idea that anarchy is going to scale and like the world will just operate under an anarchy. Like, yeah, okay. Well, uh, anyway, I prefer regulation and clarity. Um, okay, yeah, I wanna... and, and so do institutions. And that's and that's really, I think that is ultimately what we're after. Um, is that this just gets broader uh, buy-in, and that really only happens when they are sure that there's regulators that are looking into all this kind of stuff. So. The other totally. thing that's interesting that Nick Carter mentioned on his pod, uh, it might have been a couple of weeks ago, was that there's almost too much transparency from market player to market player, where people know exactly where another firm's liquidation point is. And so they can just push the price. Mm-hmm. They can try to manipulate certain crypto it puts a um, it puts a target on your back if you're a trader for have to have other other traders know your positions. Yeah, uh, you know you don't want that to happen. Um, but that's part of the ethos. So that it'll be interesting to see how that plays out specifically. Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit more about three arrows three arrows capital. So my understanding is three three arrows capital was accepting or was taking out, was reaching out to lenders in the crypto space. I'll name a few. Celsius, BlockFi, Genesis, Voyager. There's probably others. I don't actually, I didn't actually even know what Voyager was. I still don't even know what Voyager is, (laughs) but apparently they're a big part of this. Uh, And uh, basically the Eros Capital was, they didn't even have much of like their own proprietary capital is my understanding. They were actually just lend. They were taking out loans from other, from other, from lenders, and then they were basically gambling that money. Mm. Um, and so when things like Luna collapsed, like they were to- they were totally underwater. Um, we've talked about Celsius before, so I won't go into that. Um, the the BlockFi stuff is interesting. There's been reports about. There's been reports come out from CoinDesk about leaked conversations from Morgan Creek Digital. Um, 
which is uh, led by um, shoot, what's his name? I'm forgetting the this this uh, the founder. Um, but it also Anthony Pompliano is apparently a, co- a co-founder in Morgan Creek Digital. There's been leaked conversations with them talking with BlockFi. BlockFi accepted a, a line of credit from FTX. So I want to segue into FTX and Sam Bankman frieds position and all this. Um, sorry, I'm sort of all over the place. BlockFi, I think what most people know BlockFi is it's sort of like a lending platform, mm-hmm. sort of like a neobank. Like you can deposit your crypto and they'll give you like, you know, 1% yield or something, 1% interest rate. Um, and there's a really good podcast with BlockFi from last Friday on the on the Brink podcast with Matt Walsh. I recommend people listen to that if you want to know more about BlockFi. Um, but he like did, interviewed the guy, right? Yeah. So the the CEO and, and co-founder's name is Zach Prince, and he does a good job. At, he does a really good job at explaining how they do their asset liabilities matching, hmm. um, specifically like um, the duration and the de- denomination. Um, so I thought, I, th- I think it's a very interesting conversation. But uh, BlockFi did, did negotiate a line of credit from FTX um, about a week ago. $250 million line of credit. Uh, basically the way, like my understanding is like, they, they, that's in order to, f- to fulfill client redemptions. So as a client of BlockFi, you can redeem your funds at any point. But the thing is, is like BlockFi is lending out those funds. And so not everything is immediately redeemable. So they have to, sometimes they have to wait for the duration of their loan to, to uh, fully, whatever you call it. I don't know. They have the, 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 the loan has to complete in order for them to have the funds to be able to pay. Mature. The, mature. Thank you. In order to fill client, redeem, uh, client withdrawals. And so it makes sense that they need a line of credit in order, <clears throat> because if there is a sort of like bank run scenario, then they need, they need liquidity to give to their, their clients. Um, the, the kicker with the BlockFi thing, well, I don't want to speculate. There's, there's articles out there on Coindesk that, uh, that talk, that speculate about some lead conversations about, the future of BlockFi. Um, hmm. Okay, I need to go listen to that too. I have, I I remember seeing Matt um, tweet about that interview a little bit, but I have not had a chance to listen to it. So, well, I'll I'll say this part. Um, by the way, the guy's name is Mark Yusko. Is Morgan Creek Digital? Okay. Morgan Creek Digital is one of the largest equity share, shareholders of BlockFi. Um, and they're not obviously the only one. There's a lot of them. And the lead conversation stated that basically FTX's contract gave them the option. Now that it didn't give them, uh, it didn't specify a trigger, but they gave them the option to basically buy BlockFi for basically nothing, which would wipe out BlockFi's equity agreement. Hmm. And so obviously Morgan Creek Digital, it's in their best interest for, as a majority shareholder for that to not happen. And they were trying to raise equity. 
but I don't know how much all this is true. I mean, like it, it could, that could be totally false. Right? There's no, and, until BlockFi and FTX come out and say something, like we shouldn't assume that, that any of that's true. And regardless, as a consumer, here's the thing. I'm a consumer, okay? I'm not, a, I'm not an equity holder in these companies or I don't have any sort of uh, incentive to say one thing or the other. Here's what I'll say as a consumer. It's very clear to me that BlockFi, at least uh, in like relative to Celsius, BlockFi it cares very much about client redemptions. They have never met, missed a client redemption. They haven't froze funds. They haven't been like, well, you got to give us 10 days. In their agreement, they have up to seven days because of the because of the duration. It's a thing. It's a technical thing in financial lending. They have up to seven days, and they've never missed it. So, um, you know, regardless of what the what the speculation is about who the equity holders are of BlockFi, you know, that doesn't matter to the consumer. What matters mm-hmm. to the consumer is that the company is doing the right thing, and uh, so I think that's that's worth noting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, all this stuff is, it's risky. So that's a, that's like opposed to Celsius, right? Cause Celsius totally froze all funds. If you have any funds in Celsius, you're probably not going to get them back. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and there's word on the street that Goldman Sachs is like trying to arbitrate, uh, or whatever you call it, orchestrate a deal to, for people to, for Celsius assets to get bought out. Um, so the Hmm. shark, the sharks are in the water. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Trust, trust third parties. Um, if you, if you choose, but there are, there are options to pretty much do all this stuff without trusting, um, really trusting anyone. So I, I just remember there's been, there were so many conversations specifically last year that I had with friends who were, you know, into a lot of, into a lot of coins, I'll just say. And, uh, they were, they were trying to impress the, uh, get yield, uh, get all the stuff right on, on your coins or take a loan out against. And to me, it always just seemed like I'm already in a risky enough asset class. I don't need to, <laughs> yeah. I don't need I don't to need add to- I don't need to go to like the riskiest of the riskiest. Like I'm okay with just the riskiest. (laughs) Yeah. I'm already out. I'm already out the the risk curve where, and I I still feel comfortable, but there's no reason for me to go even further with, with parties that, you know, I really don't know anything about. Um, So it's always been the appeal to me for Bitcoin is that I don't really have to, I have to trust the exchange for as long as it has to sit on there until it clears and then I can take it right off the exchange. And then I have to trust um, whatever hard, you know, whatever uh, cold storage wallet uh, that I'm using, I would have to trust them, I guess, to a degree, it feels like. Um, but outside of that, it feels like there's, there's not a ton of trust that I need to um, have with the system. But yeah, if I'm, if I'm getting loans or, and then those loans are getting sold potentially to other people and what's happening there. Like, it's just too, it all seems too complicated. So. Okay. Like I said, this is the scary, this is a scary episode. So you should just keep that in mind as you're listening to everything that we're saying. Um, But it's scary generally out there as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll get to that in in a moment. I want to, I want to wrap a few things up. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried's role. So 
FTX has been, there's been a number of deals announced that FTX has made. And, um, you know, you can look at this from two different perspectives. Um, on, from one perspective, you can, you can see this as um, they're buying a bunch of cheap assets. So they're buying value and, uh, you know, good for them, but maybe bad for the industry if, if, if there's like <clears throat> intensive consolidation happening. Or the other perspective is that like, you know, they are acting altruistically. Because <laughs> mm. uh, for those who don't know, Sam Bankman-Fried has this has this shtick uh, called effective altruism, and I forget the details of it honestly. But it's like it's a big part of his thing that he's like, you know, making all this money to one day give it up, give it all back or something. Um, and he he it's some sort of like philosophy thing. I forget exactly. Uh, so we're going to find out one day if, uh, if that was all true or not right now, it's, uh, to be determined. I, I want to say, can you write a smart contract that just does it automatically? <laughs> yeah. Well, life's more complicated than that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <clears throat> I'm often critical of SBF and FTX, but, um, you should know that I tend to lean more on like the side of skeptics and like, I tend to, I tend to be more of like a Michael Burry type of person, um, which, you know, pessimists don't make as much money as optimists, but, uh, I just, so I just want to say that because like, you know, even though I'm, I'm like, can be critical of something doesn't mean that, uh, you should like, you know, prescribe it as truth. That makes sense. For example, uh, Solana uh, is a is a cryptocurrency that has um, close ties with FTX, and I've mentioned it several times on this podcast. And uh, that continues to interest me in terms of uh, you know future growth and speculation. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean. No, no. It just feels like everything is going to be not performing well for a little while. And that's okay. Definitely not. Okay. There's one more, one more topic. And then, and then we can talk about just like market outlook and how I think the, where I think the future of crypto is yeah. in, this, in this current moment. We'll, we'll wrap up with that. But one more thing I want to talk about is um, compass mining. So how much did, did you pay attention to this at all this week? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it seems it's it seems like it's another or pieces of this are in line with other pieces of what we've talked about today, where it's like there are some uh, claims that have not been verified. But if they are true, then uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the closing of the Discord was pretty crazy. I thought. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So and then, lot- and then two. I mean, yeah, the the two. Uh, the top two executives stepping down it's seemingly like simultaneously and, and uh, immediately that was not good either. Yeah. Well, again, this is a speculation episode. I want to be, I'm going to keep reiterating that. Uh, but uh, let's start from the basics. So compass mining is the idea of compass mining is that you can 
consumers can get exposure to Bitcoin mining is the idea. So to really be profitable with Bitcoin mining and like to, to capture the uh, financial role it has to play, you, you, have, you have to have like economies of scale. You have to have like a ton of capital. Um, like it's, it's one of those types of industries where like there's not monopolies, but like consolidation usually occurs to like an oligarchy, an oligopoly or whatever they call it. It's like maybe 10 or so of like players because you have to have like huge facilities. You need, you need economy to scale is the point. Yeah. Um, so, so what Compass is, is like, they're like, well, we're basically a company that will Bitcoin mine. We'll, we'll be able to capture the economies of scale, but it'll be sort of a consumer product. So consumers can, I think my understanding is like, you can basically go buy a miner on Compass mm-hmm. and they will do everything for you. They will host it. They will operate it. They must collect some sort of fee is my guess. I don't really yeah, know exactly. It's an added cost. It's an added cost for you as, uh, as the individual, but, and so your margins are, are thinner, but you didn't have to go out and purchase the space. You don't have to negotiate with the utility companies. Like there's a lot of stuff that you get to skip. Um, and yeah. And the idea is, and, and my understanding is that the, the, the consumer has, is, is like, at least that this was the message that was portrayed. The consumer owns the miner. Like that is yeah. their, their property. So they can go to compass and be like, Hey, I don't want you to host it anymore for me. Just send me my miner. Yep. That's my understanding as well. Okay. So again, you have this, like, this is like similar to like the block and like the, the Celsius, like there's like a counterparty that is holding your asset <laughs> that, that you're defending on. So there's a similar, similar pattern here. Um, so anyway, compass is kind of, there's been some bad things come out about compass the past week. Um, I guess there's two to report. One is that one of their, they basically like subcontract some things. And so they don't like vertically integrate all of their first facilities. They don't operate all of their facilities. Maybe they operate some of them. I don't really know. But there's. It's also important to know that they're dispersed, you know, geographically quite a bit. Oh I mean, right, the, the, they have another, some facilities in Iceland to Texas, and you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place. Well, another part of it was that they have facilities in Russia, and oh yeah, apparently that was like those are no yeah. longer accessible or something like that. Yeah, um, that was one thing. But uh, so, but the story was one of their subcontractors or contractors, whatever they're called in Maine. So Maine, the state in Northeast United States, uh, basically turned off their facility because compass failed to pay the bills like four months in a row, like two missed payments for, for late payments or something like that. Yeah. So this, over, over $600,000 in bills. Mm-hmm. The compass is, is not, paying their, their their subcontractors I, w- I just want to make a side comment i don't think that you know if you if you want to make compass the a, a real company that you know scales and becomes like a public company you got to be vertically integrated you can't be contracting this stuff that's not yeah it's not gonna work um so you know my opinion maybe elon will take it over 
Yeah. Uh, don't, don't distract me with Elon. Uh, <laughs> the other thing with Compass was, as you said, their executive, two of their executive team members left the company. So there's the CEO and the CFO, it's the executive officer and the financial officer. Um, yep. And, you know, the way it works is like they resigned, but then it's like, well, you don't really know if like they were sort of forced to resign or if they um, truly volunteered to resign. So it would be pure speculation to, to, to speculate on one, more than one or the other. I will say that this, the financial officer specifically leaving is, is a big problem because yeah. it, it indicates financial issues with the company. Um, so, yeah, it's not good. And, you know, it's, what's kind of crazy is that, um, you know, for all the good that, uh, Troy cross has done in the space, um, you know, his whole, his whole kind of idea of people having mining that's hooked up to renewables and having that offset, um, you know, the carbon that comes from them holding Bitcoin just generally, I think, you know, I remember hearing that and I actually took a really, really close look at Compass and uh, was actually, I wouldn't say too close. Like I hadn't brought it up with Raven yet, <laughs> my wife, um, <laughs> but I was, I was considering like allocating and, and treating it as an investment, right. Um, and getting one ASIC and having it be hosted either in Texas or Iceland where the two spots that I was kind of looking at from a renewable standpoint. Um, so all that to say, it's, it's a shame. I would just say that, that they're not able, that they're seemingly not, um, living up to what they promised. Mm -hmm. Um, like the, because I think, I think it's a really great, it's a great idea for, you know, for the retail miner to get yeah. into the space and not have to use a <clears> pool. Cause that's the other option, I guess, is using is, uh, putting your miner inside of a pool. Um, but yeah, again, not having to deal with any, really even any of like the disruptants, right? Because, uh, my understanding is ASICs are not necessarily the most quiet, uh, things. And, you know, there's, there's just things, if you're going to house them in like in a home or some, somewhere where there's other people, it's, it's not like, it's just this silent thing that doesn't disrupt ever. So it's kind of nice to have a hosting facility, um, that did everything for you. I think it's a great idea. Um, and, uh, I think that the idea will, will succeed eventually. I think what you have here with compass is a classic case of operational failure. They just yeah. didn't, didn't know what they were doing. Um, so I, I want to wrap up the mining discussion. My Bitcoin miners are in a really tough, tough spot today. Um, and there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the mining industry. Uh, there's there's two two major things about Bitcoin mining today that would concern me. The first is um, you've had a lot of people commit capital at the wrong times, and so you had like companies like Marathon which is a public company, uh, Bitcoin miner. Uh, there was literally just like 
they just they were literally buying bitcoin they weren't even just mining they were buying it and putting it on their balance sheet when bitcoin is at like fifty thousand dollars um and so obviously that's very deep underwater the mining companies are heavily equity based and so they raise capital and so anyway the one thing is that they <clears throat> they raise capital at the wrong time but that's their fault the other thing is that <laughs> those <laughs> <The> other, dummies <laughs> yeah i mean that's just natural um market you know that's just the way the market works yeah uh, i'm getting tired here the uh the other thing is um the diminishing block subsidy, which will happen in two years where we have another halving event, is something that miners are beginning to concern themselves about today. Yeah. Um, especially because you're going to have a lot of consolidation. And so a lot of capital is going to come back to the table and they're going to start thinking, well, what's, you know, they got to think into the future. They think, oh, the block subsidy is going to dry up in two years, not dry up, but it's going to get cut in half. And, yeah. uh, and then I'll, that'll be a, that's a big concern. Yeah. I said that I saw this on Reddit. I sent this to my little brother, uh, the graphic of like the block rewards. I mean, literally it's not going to be too long. Like by 2032, the block reward will be less than one Bitcoin. It'd be points, 0.78125, which is just crazy. I mean, the post was essentially like one, one day the amount of Bitcoin you hold will be the block reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assuming yeah. like, you know, you don't right. hold a lot of Bitcoin because you know, at the very end, it's like you go, you know, in the last, like, I mean, the last four halvings, you're all, you only have one digit and it's like two, four, six, eight, maybe eight digits. Yeah. Eight digits, eight digits out from the decimal. So, so anyway, okay. I want to, I want to segue into, and then we can start to wrap this up because I am getting tired, getting tired of talking yeah, about scary things. Take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go take um, a walk. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, the, the, I, I do, you know, when I just take a step back and I think about Bitcoin mining, there is undeniably a, a ginormous innovation opportunity in the conversion of electricity into money. The reason being is that like, there's two, there's two, there's three like sort of reasons why that's just a, a civilization changing innovation. The first is if you think of any sort of um, technology that its purpose is to pr- produce heat. So if you're cold during the winter and you heat your house, you have something that literally takes energy and creates heat. Um, obviously it makes sense to monetize that. Like there's a, there's an obvious market re, uh, incentive to, to monetize that function. The second thing we've talked about several times on this podcast is stabilizing renewable energy. Um, so we've talked about this before. Renewables are difficult technically if you can monetize the energy, you can solve a lot of problems. The third thing is like stranded energy. You know, c- civilizations tend to organize around 
like points of uh, accessible energy. That's why so many civilizations live on the coastline and like we live along a river is because water, flowing water is a tremendous uh, producer of energy. Um, and there's like, you know, there's a ton of space on the world to live. Okay. Like humans occupy a pretty small space. And, uh, the reason why we occupy the places where we live is because like, we have no way to economically make the energy, uh, work Mm -hmm. in our favor. At least that's one of the reasons, right? I'm not saying it's the only reason. So anyway, the third reason is that, um, stranded energy, monetizing stranded energy is a huge innovation. So I just want to say all those things because, uh, the miners are facing, they're coming back to the table and they're about to be humbled. They're going to be humbled by humbled by the market, but the concept is still, uh, a total game changer in my opinion. And then, but the next, you do have to ask yourself a serious question of is Bitcoin the solution to that? You know, it could be, there could be another mechanism to monetize energy. That's not Bitcoin. I know it's heresy to, to say such a thing, <laughs> but, uh, but you should, you should ask yourself that because again, you, you know, right now the Bitcoin's lining up to be the only proof of work um, crypto asset at this point. Once I totally, Ethereum, I totally agree. I think that the, um, okay. All right. Journeying into dangerous waters here. <laughs> I think that the, um, the one alternative that could emerge, I don't know. I, I, this is just like pure stream of consciousness. I haven't even really thought a ton about it. I think that if you had governments supporting um, an alternative that was proof of work and provided stability, basically if you fix the volatility and you, um, it, it becomes required through government basically because that's how they can, governments can require monetary systems because they can, that's how you pay your taxes. And so they can fix, they can be like, this is, this is the monetary system. Um, so anyway, if governments were to come about and create a proof of work system that also fixed volatility, I would be, you know, that's a different discussion because then now we're talking about, okay, do we want a state money or a non-state money? Um, and, uh, I think there's a role for both, but no, that's a different discussion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I keep going back to, uh, you know, the markets are, they're all over the place and that's fine, but day to day and the people I meet, um, that are in the space, um, and the work that's being done. And I think the opportunity that is presenting itself over the next few years to get in, to get into equities or, like I'm, I'm saying like for Bitcoin mining, right? Like to be able to even purchase the equipment, you're getting it at a lot cheaper discount. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the market is going to flush out the players who were not, uh, who did not plan for the worst, who just thought that the number was only ever going to continue to go up and we're going to lever up and all these things. And, and those flush outs, in my opinion, are, they're needed. Totally. And- listen, listen to this. I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with a guy named Hasu. Have you ever heard of Hasu? Like, no. Have you listened to any? 
You should check so. out. You should check out some Hasu's work. He's he's, he's got okay. decent work. Um, it's not really Bitcoin stuff. It's more like not Bitcoin things, but it's impressive nonetheless. Okay. Um, he made a <clears throat> he made a a point yesterday where I was like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing point. If you are an entrepreneur in this space, you should think of the volatility as a huge gift, because what it does is every cycle. The market just gifts you. You don't even have to do it yourself. The market just gifts you this great gift of getting rid of your competitors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. like if you are like a legitimate entrepreneur, that's, that's, that's like built, you know, creating real value, then the volatility is actually plays in your favor because it gets rid of all the people that you're competing against. I completely agree. It's actually beautiful. So, because if you, if you can survive, if you can survive what we're about to go through, what we've already gone through, but what we're about to go through, if you can survive it, um, then it, it, it actually says a lot about your, your actual character. And it's, uh, and then if you can also be building, like not only survive, but could you also even potentially thrive in certain ways by, you know, taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves assets that are cheaper equipment that's cheaper um you know scooping up talent that was at mm -hmm. one company but now they that talent needs to come to your company i mean those are all just crazy opportunities that you know don't come around very often and so um so yeah it's it, to me it's it's an exciting time i mean it's just always the counterintuitive thing right of like when everyone's freaking out um, you know, just take a deep breath and see what you can see, what you can do with the situation. So, yeah, totally. All right. Well, I would like to end it right there. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for listening. See you guys next week.